you a background on what we're going to learn about today. Thank you, Darren. Uh, appreciate that. Um, we're going to be talking about Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, make your move is what I want to focus on today. So I'm going to give you a summary, a little bit on top of what Darren said. Uh, he covered it pretty well. Nehemiah, as, as Darren said, is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. So uh, what his job is is to taste the, the king's wine and food in case it's poisoned, then, then he will then uh, die instead of the king. So, uh, you know, kind of sketchy, but he got the best food there was to eat, and uh, he was important to the king. He was a high-ranking official, so he had a lot of power. He had it good. And uh, one day on, uh, on a nor- normal average day, the king realized that Nehemiah was looking sad. Now, in chapter 2, why is Nehemiah looking sad? If we rewind to chapter 1, we would remember that uh, Nehemiah's brother had come to, to the place where Nehemiah was working and told him, Hey, the hometown back in Jerusalem is in ruins. It has been taken over. The walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned. Now, in that point in time, that was a bad deal because the walls around a town, a city, and the gates... They were there to protect the city, to define the city. Without walls, without gates, the city was in danger of being taken over by the surrounding communities. The gates were where things happened. The, uh, your, your stuff was bought at the gates. Your court happened there. Your meetings, um, social gatherings happened at the gate. So if there was no gate, there was none of these meetings that uh, need to happen for society to function. And all that was torn down. Nehemiah was sad about it. So one day he was sipping wine for the king, and the king realized sadness on Nehemiah's face. The king asked, Nehemiah, I notice that you are sad. How can I help you? Well, instantly Nehemiah prayed. He said, uh, send me back to Jerusalem. Uh, Give me clearance to go there. Give me materials to rebuild, and I'll rebuild Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah uh, goes to see what he's, uh, if he can chew what he bit off about building uh, Jerusalem again. And uh, he goes on, my favorite part, uh, a night scouting trip. Uh, Goes in the middle of the night to check things out, and he makes a mental list of what he's going to need to rebuild Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then he gathers folks together in Jerusalem and said, hey, kind of gives them a huddle. Let's rebuild this city. Uh, They got on board uh, and they were excited about that. Now, um, whenever you want to do something good, then there's always somebody who doesn't want that to happen, right? There's always a bad guy in every good story or a couple of bad guys. This is without exception. Uh, there were some bad guys. The scripture says that they scoffed contentiously. We'll talk about that word in a little bit. And then uh, Nehemiah responds to the bad guys by telling them, the God of heaven will help us. In other words, get behind me, Satan. And then he proceeds to do the work God has uh, asked him to do, rebuilding Jerusalem. So there's a summary of Nehemiah chapter 2. Now let's get into it in more detail. But first, let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for this time that we could study your word. I ask that you would enlighten us with this word. That your Holy Spirit would move among us, affecting our hearts for your cause and emboldening us to do the work that you are calling us to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, I want to introduce you to some of the main characters of chapter 2, Nehemiah. We already know uh, Nehemiah. This fella is the ideal leader. Uh, you can see him here. He's leading, uh, supervising the construction of the wall of Jerusalem. An exemplary leader. We can learn a lot from this fella. This is Nehemiah. And then we have the king and the queen. The king's name is Artaxerxes. And if I had another kid, I would probably name him Artaxerxes because that's a neat name. It's long, and no one else has that name. This is the king and the queen. Uh, the queen is mentioned in this scripture uh, probably because, well, women are important, right? Uh, so uh, the queen is mentioned, and it's exciting to see Nehemiah doing the The second or the third character, fourth character, would be God. I don't have a picture of God. And it's a good thing because Scripture tells us that uh, no one looks on the face of God and lives through it. So we cannot imagine what God looks like. Someday we'll be with him face to face. I pray that all of us will. And uh, we will know how marvelous and how amazing he is. But right now, we can't even imagine. So I don't have a picture for that. And then we have the bad guys. Uh, these bad guys... Uh, one is named Sanballat, and one is named uh, uh, to Tobal, Tober, I can't remember his name, uh, Tobiah, that's his name. And the other one is uh, Geshem. So their names aren't necessarily important. They're bad guys, and there are three of them, and they appear in Nehemiah chapter 2 and throughout the book of Nehemiah. So we'll be spending some more Sundays on these three bad guys. So some points that I want to get to. Uh, in this chapter, oh, there's four of them, are timing, preparation, evaluation and inspection, and implementation and communication. Those are some big words, some of them, but we're going to dig through it, and I believe that you will be able to apply these to your life because this is what Nehemiah did as a leader, and uh, I'm excited to study this with you. So the first one, timing. Timing, chapter 2 of Nehemiah, uh, verses 1 through 4. Early, the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You, didn't look, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, Well, how can I help you? In this point of timing... I want to express to you that it is important to wait on God to recognize opportunities and to speak up. Timing is important. 
waiting on God. Waiting is something that is so difficult for some of us to do. To be patient, to wait on things. But waiting, the kind that we see in Scripture, is not a passive word. It's not something we just sit on the couch and do nothing until something happens. No, there's things going on when we wait. When Nehemiah waited, there was three months, by the way, from the time that his brother came and told him the news of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in uh, disrepair. Three months between that time and when he decided to do something to ask the king. And during that time that Nehemiah waited, he was praying. He was fasting. So as we wait for the Lord to speak to us, we must be busy in prayer, in fasting. Nehemiah must have been patient. We need to be patient as well. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 12 tells us that uh, those who have, because of their faith and endurance, will inherit the promises of God. Faith and endurance. In other words, patience. Enduring patience. If we have that, then we will inherit the promises of God. Waiting. Uh, Patience. My wife is a very good example of patience. And I know maybe you know her, and so you think, I don't know about that, but let me tell you an example. So the first time that my wife and I met, uh, the day after, my wife knew that she must marry me. Uh, And so she was patient, though, to wait on me. Right? I had to wait, and I never had prayed so hard before in my life leading up to the, the time where I asked my wife to marry me. You know, I wanted to make sure that I could chew what I had bitten off. And some days, I still wonder if I'm capable of that. But, no, really, my wife is an, a wonderful, amazing woman, and I would be a less than half the man that I am without her. Our women are, are, are just a blessing, a gift from God. But she waited until the right time. Actually, I waited. She was patient. And I prayed to God, uh, when should I do this and how should I do this? I waited till everything was just right. And then when God, uh, God told me, all right, uh, commit, which was hard for me, commit. And so I did. I recognized the opportunity and I asked her, and she said yes. Praise God. Uh, You know, in this time of Nehemiah, uh, it was common for Eastern monarchs to be sheltered. Uh, So King Artaxerxes would have been sheltered from anything that might have brought him unhappiness. Uh, Nehemiah could have hidden his burden. You know, when uh, the king, seeing that Nehemiah was sad, he could have easily had Nehemiah executed right then because the king would have been sheltered from that negative feeling. He could have had Nehemiah done away with. Uh, But instead of hiding his emotions or covering up, Nehemiah chose to act upon them. So how often do we be sad or uh, struggle or angry and yet we cover that up? Um, Nehemiah used it to his advantage. We'll find that Nehemiah is extremely clever in the art of leadership. Um, Even though 
he could have been killed. He waited for his opportunity and he recognized it and he spoke up. He took this opportunity. Have you ever prayed for the opportunity to share the good news with somebody? And then that time comes, oh, and you let it slip by. And you don't say anything. Oh, I mean, I do that. I, Lord, uh, put an opportunity so that I can speak to that person the next time I see them. And then it comes up, and man, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And there it is, you know, in the silence, and, and some, something doesn't just feel right, and I don't say anything at all. Let me tell you what, if Nehemiah had not spoke up about wanting to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, then number one, we wouldn't have his example of leadership written for us in the Bible. It would be some other uh, uh, example of failure. And number two, Jerusalem wouldn't have been built by Nehemiah. King Artaxerxes wouldn't have his example so next time we get the opportunity that we prayed for, that we asked God for, and you're in that moment where it's silent and awkward and you know you should speak up, think about Nehemiah. And he spoke up. And so can I. We can boldly speak up. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. So let's embrace these opportunities. Our second point for today is preparation. Verses 4 through 10 of Nehemiah. Preparation. With a prayer to God, the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it please the king... Let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forests, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province of West, the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were displeased that someone had come to the people of Israel. Prayer. In preparation, the first step is prayer. And then you research and calculate the situation, and then you anticipate roadblocks. Uh, you notice that when, when Nehemiah had the opportunity, the, the, the king asked, well, how can I help? The scripture says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I reply. With an instant prayer, 
uh, this is kind of a, an emergency prayer. Uh, he had been, uh, had been working up to this point, and then the king asks him, how can I help? Nehemiah says, dear Lord, help me. And it says something. This is the kind of prayer that you need to use men when your wife has a new outfit and she says, how do I look? You say, help me, Lord. Because you don't want to say the wrong thing at that moment. If Nehemiah would have said the wrong thing when the king asked him, the king would have done away with him. You say the wrong thing to your wife when she asks you that, you'll be sleeping in the doghouse. You'll be done away with. Uh, we need to be praying instantly before we make any decision. Shooting up these uh, instant little prayers. Now, mind you, this is backed by the three months of prayer and fasting that Nehemiah was focused on with, with God, uh, you know, aligning himself with God's will of rebuilding uh, Jerusalem. And then when he gets the opportunity, he instantly prays. There was no hesitation at this point. If Nehemiah would have hesitated, the king would have taken it as a, as a potential uh, threat. Maybe he is going to commit treason or something is not right here. But Nehemiah did not hesitate. Sometimes we say, uh, when a, a situation comes up, well, let me pray about it. I'll go home and pray about it. And if it's something you've been praying about, and God gives you the, the opportunity, then shoot one little quick prayer up to him, and then take that opportunity to speak up and act. Uh, we should use these kind of uh, prayers. And also we need to research and calculate the situation. Look, Nehemiah didn't have to hesitate because he had already done the prep work. Uh, he knew this. He was going to rebuild, right? And he was going to uh, be there for a certain amount of time. He knew how long. So when the king asked him, or the queen said, how long are you going to be there? He knew how to answer that question. He knew that he would need clearance to get through the hostile territory that he had to go through to travel to where Jerusalem was at. And he knew that he would need lumber, you know, he mentions uh, the, the fella who's in charge of the forests, Asaph. And, I mean, I don't think the cupbearer would have known the lumber guy's name. They probably didn't hang out, probably wasn't close. But Nehemiah evidently had done his research. And so he knew that the fella's name was Asaph. And he's mentioned this to the king. A good leader like Nehemiah has this stuff researched. Uh, when you go into a meeting, it's best to be ready. And then you will be taken seriously. When you go into a meeting of appeal, like this, uh, parents, when you are going to talk to your teenager, to appeal to them to change their behavior, or to increase a good kind of behavior, or decrease a bad kind of behavior, do your research. Know what they're doing for fun. Uh, know what bothers them. Know what their activities uh, are and who their friends are. Do your research. And teenagers, the same thing. When you talk to your parents and you want to appeal to them, do your research. Find out that they also were once teenagers as well, right? Because all parents were. So they probably know a thing or two about being a teenager. Uh, at work, when you have a serious meeting, you're going to work on it before you go into that meeting so that you know what you're going into. Pray. Research. 
<clears throat> and then, after you've prayed about it, and after you've done your research, you anticipate roadblocks. Always going to be roadblocks. We're always going to have things that are standing in our way. Nehemiah got letters from the king because he knew it was going through hostile territory. And here was these bad guys. The two show up in the first part of the chapter, Samballat and Tobiah. These guys wanted to stop and prevent the building of the wall of Jerusalem. We are going to have roadblocks uh, in our marriages. A roadblock can be scheduling. If your schedule is so busy that you can't spend time with your wife, or your husband, then that is a roadblock in your marriage. You need to schedule in each other or leave enough free to spend time with them. My wife isn't taking notes. I'm surprised. This is, Im- this, this is important in marriages. Uh, maybe uh, this part of roadblocking, uh, experiencing these roadblocks, happens when we have a thin budget financially. An opportunity comes up for us to buy a new place or a a vehicle or invest some money, but we can't do it because we've allowed our budget to be so thin. We need to anticipate roadblocks so that when even emergencies come up, we have enough to cover that. Uh, Leadership personality traits. Um, If you're in a position of leadership, some personality traits naturally create roadblocks, and that's not a bad thing. We just have to figure out how to work around them. Like being uh, too pushy, that can be a, a situation in uh, a roadblock in leadership. Or being not assertive enough, a roadblock. Uh, failures, man, we let our failures uh, be roadblocks. That didn't work out. I guess I won't try that again. Uh, th- these things that we, we have to roll through them, anticipate them, Know that they're going to come and keep going. Learn from them and move on. Preparation. So we have timing and we have preparation. Now, point three, evaluation, inspection, or another word that makes it uh, make more sense to me is scouting. I, I, like, I like scouting. So let's read uh, verses 11 through 12. So I arrived in Jerusalem... Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey that I was riding. This is great. This is like a, a night mission. Uh, now, I, I don't, I, you don't want, always want folks to know what you're doing before you plan to do it. You know, if you're a leader, you want to do your research and get an idea of how you're going to do it before you let the whole world know. That way you have a foundation built up to work with. This is how scouting works, how inspection happens. Um, you go ahead. The military, they have scouts that they send ahead to check things out. The, the, the cowboys and the Indians, they always send out a scout to check things out, to see if the hostile uh, territory was over here or over here. So which way should we take? They sent out scouts to check it out. 
Um, they make scout rifles. I know. Um, so scout rifles. They're short and they're handy and they're light and they always have open sights there ready to pull up. Um, they're not in the way. They're not the main infantry weapon, but they make scout rifles. It has to be handy and usable. And they make scout vehicles, uh, international scout. They're four-wheel drive and they have big tires and they can go up over things and they can go into places that you need to go to do the scouting work, to do the inspection. So I want to show you a map. <clears throat> and uh, maybe I can get this fancy stuff to work here. And while you're looking at the map, I'm going to read uh, where we're going here, okay? So we are on verse, 14, verse 13. It says, After I went out through the valley gate, uh, check it out, the valley gate, is it working? Yeah, so there's the valley gate right there. This is Jerusalem, by the way, <clears throat> the old city of Jerusalem. The outline border is the walls of the, the city. Like I said, all cities had walls to protect them back then. And um, these are the historic gates. A lot of them are still there. Um, I was blessed to go there uh, two years ago. Oh, amazing trip. I encourage you to go to Jerusalem to uh, Israel in time. So went through a lot of these actual gates. So here we are at the valley gate. And he went past the jackal well, the scripture says, and over to the dung gate. Kind of a weird name for a gate. But uh, here is the dung gate right here. And so he went past that to inspect the broken walls and, and burned gates. Mind you, this is the night mission. He is doing this at night. He was inspecting the broken walls and burned gates. And then he went to the fountain gate and the king's pool. <clears throat> so the fountain gate... Is right here in the king's pool. So he went there, uh, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So uh, my, my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. It, evidently, his donkey wasn't four-wheel drive. Some Another version, the Christian Standard Bible, says that he came to a passage that was too narrow for his donkey to fit through as I was looking at different translations. Now, I didn't look up the King James Version because we know what word they use for donkey in the King James Version. When your donkey is too fat that he won't fit through a passageway, uh, you should get a thinner donkey, right? So, uh, he needed either a thinner donkey or a four-wheel drive uh, donkey. So back to where we were at, actually. Um, here we go. And so so I could, he went through the rubble. He couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered through the valley gate. So here we are. We are going up here. And then he couldn't get through right here, but he continues up the Kidron Valley in his night mission. And then... He comes back through and back through the valley gate. This was his night mission. The point of this is to identify strengths and weaknesses and to prioritize and to allocate resources accordingly. The city officials, verse 16 says, did not know that I was 
what I was doing or that I was there. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken, spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. Identify strengths and weaknesses, prioritize, and then allocate resources. We do these things sometimes naturally. Uh, our church is stepping out to build in a few situations. So when we purchased our new property, uh, we had prayed over that, and we identified strengths and weaknesses. We had two or three different uh, pieces of property, pieces of land that we could build on, and we sat down, the building team did, and we identified strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, this one is by a, a park, and but this one is larger, and we figured out which one would be the best that we thought God was leading us to, and we identified those strengths. And then prioritize. You need to prioritize things in your life to be effective. Uh, we have a clinic building, and uh, Dad mentioned that, that there's good work going on there, and we prioritized uh, what we needed to do to the half, one half of it, and the other half so that we could get that done in a good time period, uh, prioritize that that building would be very useful for the youth um, until we get the new building built so that they don't tear down this one on Wednesday evenings. That could be happening if we don't uh, get something built there first. Also, to allocate resources accordingly. This is money supplies, time, and manpower. We've allocated resources. Um, you know, you guys, our manpower, we show up and we work there. Uh, we've allocated uh, zero money to that building. All our money is going to our new building. Um, you know, a, a leader decides how to allocate these resources. After Nehemiah returns from the inspection, from this night mission, he gathers the elders and the leaders of Jerusalem together to communicate the plan to rebuild the gates and the walls of the city. He communicates God's plan that will be accomplished through God's power by God's people. Verses 17 through 20. But I said to them, now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall so they begin the good work. But when Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Implementation and communication. Our fourth step, communication. Nehemiah gathers, after he did his night mission, he gathers the leaders of Jerusalem together like a huddle. 
got them around together and say, listen, it's God's plan that we rebuild Jerusalem. We will do it by God's power and we are God's people and he will do it through us. And the people said, the people told him, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Let's do it. He got them on board. Um, This is the thing that a leader does. You know, God is the one who will make it succeed. And God's people, there are things that God wants to accomplish through his people that the world cannot do. The world just can't do the things that God has planned for his people. See, God had a plan for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah understood that God's plan was bigger than just this building project. God had a plan from the beginning of time that he has been moving forward throughout history. At creation, he made man and woman in his image. He intended to have a relationship with them as they reflected his glory in the earth. And then here comes the devil. But the devil cannot thwart God's plan through the faith of Abraham, God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God's plan prevails. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3 tells us, Arise, O Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations on earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. God led Israel out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land as his chosen people whom he would display his sovereign power. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, a beacon calling all nations to come to God, to forsake their idols and to worship the one and only true God. That is why it was such a big deal when Israel wouldn't be faithful to God. Israel made God look bad instead of living as an example of the blessings and goodness that comes from obeying God and His Word. God warned them, and then He punished them. He sent them to exile. But He was able to use this as part of His plan as well. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 25 through 27. So now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all nations to see. And now it has come to Nehemiah's part in God's plan. He understands that Jerusalem is the place that God has chosen to make His name known. Second Chronicles chapter 6 
says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, From the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name, nor have I chosen to lead my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as a place for my name to be honored. And I have chosen David to be the king of my people Israel. Did you get that? He says, I have chosen Jerusalem. And Israel had allowed the walls to be torn down. This is why we must rebuild This is God's plan, and Nehemiah is straightforward in communicating it to the elders and the leaders and the naysayers and the mockers that this project will be completed through God's power. God enjoys displaying His power through deliverance and building up. Not only does Christ deliver us from sin, but he builds us up in righteousness. God will begin the commitment to finish and the character to obey through the process is your job. God is looking for his people to do the work. He has set out for them work to do and he's asking you to do it. The, the Jewish folk in this, in this time were the people that God chose. They were the people of covenant. He commanded them and had committed to them to living according to his laws and his covenant. They were to rebuild Jerusalem. Not the bad guys, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. The scripture says these guys were, one of them was a Hornite, one of them was an Amorite, and one of them is an Arab. And it wasn't just because they were from another part of the world or country or because they had a different background uh, because God can use those folks but it was because they didn't uh, didn't believe in God uh, they were choosing not to follow God's plans they were enemies of the Jewish folk they scoffed contemptuously that word translated or, or defined is is like deride when they would would come up against Nehemiah they would deride his plan we too as God's people have a responsibility we have work to do we are called to rebuild the walls of culture and of morality Jesus preached to us his followers during the sermon on the mount Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 15. You are the salt of the earth. It's talking to you. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's like this, Colony. 
I'm excited about your energy. You are like Nehemiah. But there's a lot of folks out there that are like Jerusalem, like the folks that were living in Jerusalem and allowed the walls to stay torn down. They are not taking a leadership role in building on God's foundation. Now listen, it's not the government that will save people. God's plan saves people, not the government. The church at large has relinquished their power to the government to feed the hungry, to take care of the poor, and we can see how well welfare has worked. It's a self-propagating system that keeps the poor poor. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 8 through 12, says, This is what the Lord says, At just the right time, I will respond to you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. I will protect you and give you the peop- to the people as my covenant with them. Through you, I will reestablish the land of Israel and assign it to its own people again. I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom. And to those in darkness, come into the light. They will be my sheep grazing in green pastures on the hills that were previously bare. They will neither hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside the cool waters. And finally, I will make them my mountains into level paths for them. The highways will be raised above the valleys. See, my people will return from far away, from lands to the north and west, from as far south as Egypt at just the right time Jesus came into the world because he prioritized our souls because of the love that he has for us he implemented the plan of salvation that he had prepared from the beginning he prepared a way by living a holy and blameless life and he is preparing a place for us to be with him in heaven he evaluated the hopeless situation that we are in. And he determined to make his move at just the right time. He implemented his saving grace and he has left us with the task of communicating this plan of God's power so that all people might become God's people in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to make your move? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word through Nehemiah. Lord God, we ask that you would continue to keep it fresh in our hearts, that we could be the kind of leader that Nehemiah was, the example that he provides for us. Lord, we thank you for your saving grace for the gift that you gave us so we can see God face to face. We pray for our community, for our government, for our families, God. Will you help us to build on your foundation? In Jesus' name that we pray.